Hello and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you, and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.iamwomanproject.com.au. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favourite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at I Am Woman Project and Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today we are speaking with the very brave Natasha David. Natasha shares with us how she explored many avenues of assistance to overcome the debilitating depression and anxiety that she experienced following her husband's suicide in 2005. Meditation, breathing techniques and kinesiology were just some of the tools she explored in her recovering from grief and heartbreak. The latter proved so successful in enabling her to release the stress and internalized emotions from the trauma of losing her husband that Natasha became a certified kinesiologist. Natasha promotes meditation as a method to calm the distracting chatter that occurs in our heads during times of stress and trauma, known as the monkey mind in Buddhist teachings. The result of these practices delivered Natasha to the point where she could write about her painful and difficult story with detachment and compassion. In this interview, Natasha speaks of mental illness, especially bipolar disorder, which is one of the most misunderstood and misdiagnosed of the mood disorders. Enjoy this very brave story. Welcome to the show, Natasha David. How are you? Really well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thank you for coming on the show. Now, before we get into the show, we were having a nice little conversation on what kind of day you've had. And I thought that would be a great way to start uh, for our listeners. So why don't you share with our listeners what kind of day you've had? Yeah, sure. I um, I was spent the last two days at World Business Forum in Sydney. Um, and I literally have just come back from listening to um, Sir Richard Branson speak and it was just an incredible high to hear someone of his um, passion and charisma uh, talking about ways to change the world through his uh, resources and means. Um, and yesterday the conference opened with uh, Chris Gardner who wrote the book Pursuit of Happiness which was then made into the uh, Hollywood major motion picture and um, I was just saying that, that meeting or not meeting, seeing these, these people in action and live um, is so inspiring. It's, um, it, you come away from it really with a sense of, you know, I can change the world even if it's just my corner of the world. So I've had a very inspiring day. Yeah, and I was just saying it's much better kind of day that I've had, and it's um, and the reason why I wanted to share or you wanted you to share this information was really about. Um, it's interesting how when we don't experience those, uh, we have perceptions of individuals and it's not till we hear it from somebody else how great these people are. Certainly, certainly is. And it yeah. also inspires you to greatness. Uh, I think that's just a wonderful feeling to to be in a crowd all feeling very inspired to going away and, you know, doing something something real. 
And, and so, so you've left the show feeling what, what's the inspiration for you now? Like what do you want to, you've left now and what do you, what do you feel like jumping into? Look, I, I for a, a long time now, um, since I, since I wrote, um, uh, since, since I wrote my book, I've, I've been wanting to, uh, become more, ad, more of an advocate for mental illnesses. Um, so I, you know, I was thinking there, sitting there in my, in my little seat and, and thinking, wow, these, these people are really making a difference in their, you know, if it's, if it's space travel or if it's, um, you know, fusion to solve the energy, the world energy crisis. Um, you know, in, in my way, I can, uh, you know, I really want to, you know, speak and talk to people and, and eliminate the stigma around mental illness, uh, in particular, um, carers of, of mental illnesses. So, yeah, that, that's what really I came away from thinking up all of these things of what, what, what can I do next. So, Natasha, why don't you explain a little bit about your book, Marrying Bipolar, just so that our listeners get a bit of a, an understanding of what you've done and what you are doing. Sure. So, um, I, uh, I wrote this book uh, four years ago now, um, and it really was, for me, a way of um, cataloguing and understanding what I had gone through as a carer of someone uh, with a mental illness. Um, so I was married um, to a man with, um, we think it was undiagnosed bipolar disorder, um, which is a very, very misunderstood um, and misdiagnosed uh, disorder of the mental illnesses. Um, Jack Heath, from, uh, who's the CEO of, of Say in Australia, um, they have some statistics on the length of time it takes the average person to be diagnosed with, uh, you know, get a diagnosis of bipolar. Um, so I was um, I was married to to my husband for uh, for five and a half years. I was with him in total for nine years. We were struggling as a couple. Um, you know, we were struggling with the normal marital issues, but we were struggling with something much deeper than that. And it was, um, you know, his his attempted suicide when we were first um, very early on um, dating. Um, his, you know, increasing apparent um, uh, pre- presentation of signs and symptoms of a mental uh, mental health issue, um, and and the biggest thing of all was um, that I needed to process was that we were both in deep denial about about those things, um, and that unfortunately I believe led to um, the marriage breakup and subsequently he he took his own life. So I spent you know the last um, ten years. Uh, it was 10 years ago last winter, actually, that that happened, um, really processing and coming to terms with my own response to that. Um, the, you know, the norm, when I say normal grieving patterns, um, when you grieve someone that is suicided, it is actually a very, very different process um, to, to grieving a loved one that's passed away from old age or from um, a, a sickness that everyone understands is, you know, is, is a fatal uh, illness. So... Really, writing the book for me was 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 the final kind of pin in yes, I'm I'm going to process and understand what I went through. Well, and what a journey to do to actually going through writing a book uh, really helps you, I think, see things from a different perspective, doesn't it? When you actually write it out and you can actually read it back to yourself, it really changes the dynamics, doesn't it? It really does, and it's it's that that you know I used to talk about this a lot with my friends, my family. You know, obviously, I didn't talk a lot about it outside of my inner sanctum, and even as I say, you know, now even though I talked about it with my family and friends, I didn't really let them into how bad it actually got. So the act of writing it was that non-judgment. No one's listening to you. You're not getting that immediate feedback. And it really did allow me the freedom of expression. Now, I never intended to publish. At first, it was a blog, and it was a way of just getting those feelings out. 
um, to the world or out to my sort of small circle of people. Um, and it took another three years actually for me to fight my inner stigma about the themes of my book to say, yeah, this is, this is, I want to put this out into the world. And there's a lot of research now that uh, focuses on, you know, the the power of writing, so journaling and what it actually does to the brain, how it actually activates new circuits. And journaling is quite healing in itself and it can actually transform the brain. So if you look at neurotransplicity and, and you're looking at what you've currently gone through or in ten, even 10 years ago, but to, to bring you to that um, decision of, you know, m- turning it into a book, um, it would have been a, a, a very healing a journey for yourself and obviously this is where you are today so what else do you do so you've written this book do you go out there and talk to people about it because we were talking about it before that it's one of those things that not many people talk about yeah it's one of the last um to break taboos really i mean we've seen an incredible um outpouring of public acknowledgement and um of, of basic you know public awareness of mental illnesses um we're getting to there in terms of suicide um, in, in, you know, and we've got some very high-profile um, speakers that really advocate for, for turning the suicide statistics around in Australia. But really, people weren't talking about this at all 10 years ago. Um, and the, the last taboo that I'm hoping, you know, that I, I've definitely got a voice um, to bring to the, to the party is, um, is the fact that, you know, carers of those with mental illnesses um, aren't allowed or feel like they can't say, it sucks. You know, it's, it sucks to have to go through it and it's tiring. Um, it's actually exhausting and particularly when you're trying to deny that there's a problem in the first place, um, it, it's, it's ultimately it, it, it just incapable of dealing with it. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not just the actual individual going through it. It's those, those people that love the individual around them. So it's like yourself, the partner or the families and they yeah. too go through their own journey and their own emotions uh, through the whole process or... Or, you know, going through that, you know, the mental illness, whatever that is. And especially when you don't really know, it's, it's, that would have been frightening, not actually labeling it as something or knowing what it is, but actually still going through that, like what's going on. That's right. It's, um, it's, I think that it, the term is more about the denial than, than not knowing what's going on. I mean, un, underneath it all, I think I had a realization that things were spiraling and this is not normal. But you tend to normalize it to become like, You've got this, I have, I've certainly had a, an, an intense desire to be normal. I know my husband um, was desperate to present a facade of normality. Um, and then when you look at it all, you think, well, what is normal anyway? Like it, it really shouldn't be a judgment from yourself or society to, um, to present this kind of, uh, you know, life that, that, that has no issues, no ups and downs. And the more I speak to people about this, um, you know, what, what, do you, what do you do? And I say, I've written a book. Uh, the, the next question is invariably, well, what's it about? And, and I used to feel really protective of, of saying what the themes of my book were. Um, but now as I speak to people, in, inevitably every response that I have had has been, oh, yes, I know someone who has been touched by that or I have been touched by that. So it's actually more of a universal theme than we think. I think we all go around in our heads pretending that, um, that we're not going through through something when when in fact we are. Yeah, absolutely. And you do hear a lot. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a lot more spoken about today than what it was. You know, say ten years ago. Absolutely. So, N- Natasha, what drives you? What drives you today? 
Um, I, I have always been really driven by um, self-improvement, the need to be better than I was yesterday. And it used to be, um, I would say the flip side of that would be perfectionism, which was actually quite destructive for me in younger years, the need to be perfect, uh, the need to never make a mistake. Um, and that in, 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 you know, after going through a lot of therapy and a lot of, um, of self-discovery and probably, um, you know, one of the, the reasons why I had to learn what I did in my marriage is you can, you can pursue greatness and you can pursue um, self-awareness, but it, it really is about bringing humility to it and bringing integrity, um, you know, think in, in terms of what you think about yourself and what you say about yourself and, 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 and others as well. So I, I guess it's sort of self-learning and integrity really drives me today. Yeah, and you were you were actually speaking before before we got onto the the show that you're talking about you studied kinesiology and your journey through that. Would you like to share how you went through that and what was the end result with um, with kinesiology? Yeah, so I um I look I didn't know where to go for help at first. Um, the first port of call, obviously, when you're feeling like you are, and I went through you know being suicidal myself was um, when I got to rock bottom. The first port of call was a psychologist. Um, and I found that talking about it was was okay, but I needed more. Um, and the psychologist mentioned maybe I should go to meditation. So I did meditation classes and through that I um, found out about kinesiology. And I, it kind of was one of these next step things that, that I went through. Um, I was absolutely um, 100% going to find out, you know, the next thing that could help me. And kinesiology really was that step for me. And I, and I just really... Um, fell into step with this connection between mind, body, spirit. And and I was very spiritually um, lost as well at this time. So something that brought all of those three things together for me was was mind-blowing. Um, and being able to tell through the power of muscle testing what my body was needing or what it, what it healing it, 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 it desired, um, it really put the control back into my hands rather than going to a doctor or a psychologist and, and asking them what is wrong with me. So I think that the combination of it being self-directed as well as very holistic was, was very appealing. And I actually went on and, and became certified as a kinesiologist myself and set up a business and I was, you know, had patients and I was helping them get through, um, you know, some uh, some very, you know, tough times as well. But what I ultimately realised was that for me, kinesiology was a way to unlocking my self-awareness in a much more deep way rather than it being my... Um, you know, my, my calling in life. I love kinesiology. I go often, I have done for over 10 years. I just love it because it's it's amazing how you may think you're okay, but it's not till they do their mus- muscle testing and they're obviously communicating with your body and your unconscious part of your mind where that's where the truth comes out. Uh, and I just love it. So how do you actually muscle test yourself? Because I know when I get it done, I don't know how I could do that myself. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those tricky things. I didn't trust myself for a very long time to do it on myself um, you have to be you have to be in a place of accepting the outcome and not trying to drive the outcome um, and, and really it, it's about getting into balance with yourself so you can do it a few ways you can either use your entire body as almost like a pendulum swing yeah um, and I've gotten people to you know you, you need to have uh, what's called a um, um, uh, you know I can't remember the word but it's when you have a question that you know the, the answer to to get the what is my true response? What is my false response? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you've worked that out, you can you can use your 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 body standing sort of grounded with your hips, um, your your feet 
a hip width width apart, and just kind of ask yourself, okay, what is what is it that I'm feeling at the moment, or if there's a problem that you want to overcome, or if there's a goal that you're trying to meet that you just can't seem to, to meet meet there, and just basically allow yourself to rock either forwards or back. And and for me, the tool I use is an emotion chart. So I will look at the different emotions that maybe you know, um, getting in the way of me of me reaching a goal and I'll identify those emotions using that muscle testing. Um, some people use uh, use their uh, finger. So if you put your f- forefinger and your thumb together and then try to break that connection yeah. with your hand, so that's another way. Um, but look, if, if I would I would um, I would definitely advise people if they're interested in this to go and get a, a session with a kinesiologist. It's um, and it's not for everybody, obviously, but it, it is quite powerful and it is. No, absolutely, I find it very powerful. So, Natasha, with the benefits of hindsight, what would you have done differently in your life or career? Um, I, I I'm a really strong believer in things happening for a reason. I know you should never say that to people that are going through difficult times and I certainly wouldn't have liked to have heard it but but honestly if, if I look back on it um, I think I, I did need to learn lessons and I think a lot of my own um, headstrong nature and my own inability to um, uh, you know to uh, to open up to the possibility of there being more more wrong in my marriage than there was you know was a contributing factor but I, I would definitely have been a lot kinder on myself. Um, I used to be very, very judgmental of myself, very hard. You know, I was very goal-oriented. And if I didn't meet a goal, then I'd be, you know, quite driven to get there. And that can put blinkers on, on you as well as a as in a couple. Um, and, I, and I was always very afraid of being vulnerable. Um, and I never really asked for help until I got to my absolute lowest ebb. And I think to get to your lowest ebb, and that's the first time you ask for help, any kind of rejection, it really, really, really gets you. So, I think I probably would have would have asked for help a lot earlier. Um, yeah, and I'm right there with you. I, I'm also a believer of everything happens for a reason. And uh, you know, I think it's if if you look at it, what's the learning and what's the learning out of every situation? And I look at things. You know, I always think of. Um, Napoleon Hill, he says, with every adversity, there's a seed of opportunity. So instead of looking at it as a problem, what's the opportunity at hand? And, you know, that in itself could be hard to, to swallow when you're going through a situation like yourself. Uh, but it's not till you actually look back and actually can join the dots and can see the light at the end of the tunnel and why you experienced what you experienced. And I think that there's also a lot of strength in vulnerability. I think it's about standing in your truth and actually saying, you know what, I actually do need some help and it's okay. It's quite empowering when you're actually standing in your truth. It absolutely is and it's something that I certainly repeat over and over again is that it is it is a, a sign of strength to show vulnerability. Mm. Um, and a lot of, and I think there's a lot of um, sections of society that are conditioned culturally um, you know, be it by gender, be it by culture, background, religion, um, are conditioned not to show vulnerability. And I think that is really ultimately very damaging. And I think we need to really speak out about it being, um, being strong to say, I need help. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was with, uh, working with some groups and, um, you know, and, and it's interesting 
just to hear even talking about vulnerability how they look upon the word vulnerability as a sign of weakness oh I'm not going to show my vulnerability I'm not going to talk about my anxiety I'm not going to speak about what I'm truly feeling in case uh, you know it comes out in case they talk about it to other people and then these other people are going to view me in a certain way and I don't want that to happen and, and it's really interesting because, and I was one of those myself, you know, I, I myself held back for, you know, for many years, I, you know, suffered anxiety for quite some time. And it wasn't until I actually came out, I actually felt free. And it opened up doors of, and like I, we talked about this before the show, it's interesting when you actually open up the floodgate, the opens up conversations, and it makes mm-hmm. other people have empathy, and not, 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 not so much empathy, but it's like, they open up and say, hey, you know, I've been through that myself. Well, I'm currently going through it. And how did you go through it? And what did you do? So it's um, it's quite empowering being vulnerable. Absolutely. And look, I, you talked about journaling earlier as well. Um, and I've been journaling since I was young. Um, and throughout the toughest times, um, I, I still keep the journal that I had in my toughest times. And I remember writing a phrase of, I am so strong on the outside. People see me as so strong and resilient but it's actually it's like being tempered by fire. Um, if you temper iron too much, it gets brittle. And I and I was describing myself as a brittle casing um, that could crack at any minute. And so I had that insight to see that I couldn't be tough and strong for much longer. But I still kept going. Um, and I think I think the other thing that I remember writing was. We all must be islands of pain in this world. And, I, and as I said before, no one talked about this 10 years ago. And so I, I had this strong sense of there are other people out there that are going through this as well. Um, but I couldn't connect to them. The internet and Facebook weren't around, not the internet, but, you know, if this, if social tools like Facebook weren't around. You couldn't find um, those niche groups of people that, that went through these specific things. And so you did feel like... You were an island um, going through this all, all by yourself. I think people have incredible resources these days to find people that are going through, you know, anything similar to themselves, which is it, it, it's a much better place, I think, to be. Oh, it's a new world, isn't it, when you think about it? And, and, and you're, you're right, when we're talking about journaling and journaling with, you know, as I was explaining, with there's research now with journaling how it helps change uh, the dynamics of a situation. It sees helps you see in a different percept, uh, like when you're writing down stuff. And, and when you're writing down stuff, it, it doesn't have to be anything specific. you just got to get your out of your way and just allow it to flow freely. And what it does, it creates that state of mindfulness and it helps you see it from a different perspective as well so it also helps um you know fire up and create new yeah. circuits and new uh, neural pathways in your brain as well so it it helps expand the brain um yeah. but as you're saying you know with with the, the the likes of social media now being the new world there is so much more it's about connection right and when you think about connection connection is the number one your human need and, you know, there's there's pros and cons. I mean, I hear people say, well, you know, social media now is it's people have become more disconnected. So when you see people out dining, they're on their phone, a couple, you know, mm-hmm. out for breakfast, they're both on their phones. And so where's the conversation? And, you know, I, I kind of agree there's that piece there that, some pe- you know, there's that lack of communication or conversation. People don't know how to have that conversation. But on the other side, I see how it helps people connect and collaborate, um, you know, in from all over the world 
Yeah, look, there's certainly you can take anything too far, and you know, social any social media is is ultimately simply a tool, and the way that we use the tool um, can be positive for positive means, or it can be very negative. You can actually use it to shut out, you know, loved ones and and people. If you like, you're saying bring out your phone at a meal and uh, and, and and update your status. And my my current partner actually. Um, has banned me, you know, photographing my food and putting it on Instagram because I'm going to do that. So it's, um, you know, you, you can use it for, for great, you know, for, for, for positive or, or it can be quite a negative thing. Um, you know, the uh, same as if people open open up about their lives on social media um, and then instantly, you know, clam up about it, you can think, well, you know, did you want to create a connection or did you simply want to, to vent to, to the void? Um, but I guess what works for any, for, for everybody is, is, is different. Yeah, it's not for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what's the greatest lesson that you've ever learnt? I would, I would absolutely say it's, um, it's all about denial um, and I've really come to understand that the pain that I experienced after my husband suicided, um, after I came to the conclusion that I was, you know, falling into depression and fighting it as hard as I could, um, and fighting grief, um, that it wasn't the pain that I was going through that was the problem. It was trying to deny pain. Um, so I pushed it away until it got to the point that it, it consumed me. And it was only when I, you know, not embraced it, but just kind of went through it, you know, um, that was when things started to get better. You know, incrementally, very, very small steps at first. Yeah. I was in that dark tunnel for a very long time. Um, but, you know, um, most of my life I spent disconnected or running away from from my emotions which is another reason I was attracted to kinesiology uh, and a reason why my meditation teacher kept saying I want you to, to describe how you're feeling and I would tell him what I thought and he would say no no not what you think how do you feel and I could sometimes you know not describe it so it was really coming to the point where okay I need to embrace and accept all of the emotions um, even the bad ones um, in fact, especially the the difficult ones. Mm. That's really the only way to go through through pain. It, it, it's a part of life. It is inevitable. Um, as my oh gosh, who used to say it? Was it meditation teacher? Someone. It was either kinesiologist or meditation teacher that said, um, "Pain is um, is a useful thing. It tells us where the healing needs to be." Oh, absolutely. And I'm listening to you and I was, you know, whether it's an emotion, anxiety, pain, depression, whatever you would like to call it, we're labeling it. And, you know, when they come up, they come up for a reason. And if we deny them or we ignore them or repress them, they come back with a vengeance. And the only way to really uh, deal with it is to embrace it uh, and to own it. And I think that's the, that's when you can then have control over it. But if you're constantly running away from it, because I did that myself with anxiety, I was denying it, I was running away from it, I wasn't embracing it, and so it kept coming back with a vengeance. I kept repressing it, pushing it mm -hmm. away. And it wasn't until I embraced it that I was able to own it and actually take control over it and then have power over it rather than it have power over me. That's right. That's exactly right. I was going to say it starts to control you, mm. deny it, um, I remember the, 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 the first thing that my psychologist said when she saw me, and remember she was the first professional to see me in that, in that state, um, and she just looked at me at the end of that session and said, I can see you are beside yourself. Now, beside yourself is, is a, a figure of speech, but she, she took the care to tell me you are actually beside yourself. So in other words, I was standing there physically and my emotional 
self was going through something and I was basically completely ignoring it mm. and she, she could see that. And it was quite an it was quite an interesting insight for me to to just have someone look at me and say you are beside yourself. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I, this oh, it's perfect. It's exactly I can relate to that. So, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, I oh, my younger self was was so traumatized and worried about being the best and and, and perfect. I I just give them a big hug. You know, my, my younger yeah. self didn't feel loved, not because I wasn't loved. I was absolutely loved by my family, but I didn't feel it. So I just give her a big hug for a really long time and just and just say, you know, you've got to take care of yourself. Um, and that means taking care of your physical body, taking care of sleeping. I was always someone that did not want to go to sleep. And that creates – and that physical um, part of taking care of yourself has a biological and a biochemical um, uh, response in your body. So I used to drive myself on very little food, very little sleep, hardly any exercise, and I thought that I was going to be healthy. Like that's just not going to happen. It's a, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, I would have told her, you know, get a good psychologist or get a good, you know, teacher to, to, to try and understand why you have these thoughts and why you want to be perfect because um, it comes from somewhere, right? Whatever, whatever tools we're equipped with in this life, part of our personality, whether you're a proponent of nature versus nurture, you are who you are. And the best way of getting through life um, well is to understand who you are. Um, and, and try, most of all, not to worry about stuff that you can't control because um, it adds out of your control. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that sometimes even to, you know, living in this kind of fast-paced environment where people actually don't give themselves the permission, the time, the space to actually get to know themselves. And uh, and sometimes that can be quite confronting if you've never done it. And I think that's really important. And if only we, you know, they taught these kind of things at school where you can, you know, uh, spend that time to think about what you're thinking about, you know, to connect with your feelings, what are you feeling. It's not these things that we get taught. It's not till later on in life or whether we go through a crisis or whatever that may be or go through some meditation classes or, you know, personal development or professional development that you learn these things. And, you, and, you know, I even say to myself, God, I wish I had known this information 20 years ago. Well, wouldn't um, we all be better? <laughs> oh, I know, but that's the way it is, isn't it? Yeah. So, Natasha, you've had quite an interesting and amazing journey. Is there anything that keeps you up at night? Do you worry or do you sleep well? What is it? You know what? I, I have never been happier in my life than I am at like right at this time of my life. Um, I sleep well. I exercise well. I look after my nutrition. I have a wonderful partner or, you know, that's not everything, but having a good partner is certainly uh, much better than having not a good partner. Yeah. Um, I actually, you know, just I don't I don't worry anymore um, like I used to. It used to be I would stay up at night uh, when I was going through, um, you know, the aftermath, uh, and and I would worry. Why didn't I do more? Why didn't I say this thing? Um, I would go over every last detail of our last week together. Um, you know, analysing everything I said and could I have said something differently or, um, or or done something differently to save my husband. But ultimately, um, and, and I hate to say this, but he was, he was, you know, not a well person and I don't think he had the, the capacity to have the, the self-insight to get better. I think he was, he was always on that path. Um, so I've, I've released a lot of that 
stress and worry that I used to have that I could have controlled the outcome somehow. Yeah, and it's, and it's, a, it's other, a, sorry. I was going to say the other thing too is um, it's taken many years, but I've come to accept that I did the best that I could with what I had at the time. And I think that's what everyone needs to, you know, if, if, if anyone's a little bit hard on themselves or think that they could be better and, you know, it's their fault, and that little voice in the back of your head says, you know, you're not good enough or you're not worthy, just remember, you know, you, you do the best that you can with the tools and the resources that you have at the time and forgive yourself for not getting it right. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, you did the best you could with the knowledge you had and it's always about forgiveness because if you can't find a place to forgive yourself, you keep yourself a prisoner in that very space or, you know, that experience. So, so Natasha, if I had to ask you to pick one word that best describes your personal brand, what would that be? I have to pick the word integrity. Um, I It was the last entry of my journal of uh, the journal that I kept when I was going through, you know, the absolute ringer. And the, the, the page that I, the reason I kept it is for the last page. And I think I came to a quiet acceptance of how I was going to move forward. And it, it went something like this. I will have integrity over my thoughts. I will have integrity over my uh, my spoken word, what I say. And I have will have integrity of action. And the reason I chose that is because I felt that I had compromised myself to the point that I was worrying about everybody else and I wasn't focusing on what was um, what was important. And I wanted to get to that place of integrity. And I, and I think I have. Absolutely. So to wrap up the show, we always wrap up the show with three golden nuggets. So what would you uh, like to give as three golden nuggets to our listeners today? Absolutely. Um, the first one is denial of any problem is only going to make that problem worse. Um, secondly, and it's sort of a paraphrase of the first one but I think it's equally important is that you can only run from your demons for so long until they catch you and finally self-awareness is is the ultimate key to growth and happiness oh I love it thank you that's great I love all of them and I can relate to every single one of them (laughs) so Natasha um how do our listeners find you if they want to read your book or find you on uh, any of the social media platforms what would that be please Sure. Um, I have a website called www.marryingbipolar.com. You can find me via the Facebook group that I set up, which you just need to search for Marrying Bipolar on Facebook. Um, And I think that's uh, that's it. Natasha, thank you so much for coming on our show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and and you're such an amazing woman and very, very powerful and I'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy listening to this interview because I'm sure like we spoke earlier on, a lot of people, uh, you know, shun away from from these kind of conversations and I think they, they should be spoken about a lot more. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. That brings us to the end of the show. If you have any questions, please send us an email to jennifer at iamwomanproject.com.au or Twitter at iamwomanproject and we will get right back to you. If you were listening to this podcast on iTunes, 
please make sure you leave a review or rating about the show. We would love to hear your thoughts. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, please take care.